make sure you account for different scenarios. And so that's really, that's a key spot to make sure you got the appropriate reserves, you know, and balances uh, to, to take you from where you're buying the property to where you want it to go. Listen, too many of us spend most of our waking hours working hard for our money and have little time left to figure out how to make our money work hard for us. We default to handing our savings off to advisors who make their livings off our assets while we wait until 65 to enjoy any of the benefits. The problem is we need a quick way to gain the knowledge to take back the reins on managing our money while avoiding the misleading media or just straight bad advice. My goal is to give you all my knowledge, full-time research, and connections in a distilled version so we all can make our money work harder for us. This show focuses on ways you can take back control and intelligently invest outside the stock market to benefit your life today as well as in retirement. I'm Brian O'Neill, and welcome to the Harder Working Money Podcast. Hey folks, welcome back to the Harder Working Money Podcast. It's a beautiful day today. We have another awesome guest. Today we're talking to Brent Ritchie. Brent is with Enrich Investment Group. He's been doing apartments for a while now. Their group has over $350 million of assets under management. They have 3,400 apartment units across the country. And we just want to talk to him today about what the current state of the market is as far as investing. And if today and this year is a good time to invest. Uh, We're talking early 2023, so we should have some good information to talk about. Well, welcome to the show, Brent. Yes, thank you for having me. Great to be on, Brian. So before we get started, Brent and I know each other because we're part of a mastermind group that we uh, just got back from Mexico, actually. So you probably see a little tan on us still. It focuses completely on the apartment industry and a bunch of about 150, 200 people or so in the group now that get together and share best practices and have experts come in and give us the inside scoop of what's going on and, you know, industry information outside of what mainstream media may be talking about. So let's get into it, Brent. So... Do you think this year, 2023 or 2024, is a good time to consider investing in apartments, considering what we hear in the news and what's coming down the pipeline and the fear monger, I guess you'd say a little bit on the media as far as, you know, the sky is falling? Great, great question. You know, and it's it's almost like if you can look back, hindsight is our greatest vantage that we don't have, you know, so a lot of us would look back. And you would look at 2000, you know, depending on what market you lived in, 2010, 11, 12, 13, and you would have thought, man, I wish I could have picked up the prices at that time. But when you're living in that time, a lot of people are watching the news, you're watching the fear, you're concerned, right? Which is why the prices fall, why everything kind of drops down. And so if you can put yourself... um knowing what you know now in that time back in, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, depending on what market you lived in, then you would tell yourself, man, like buy everything you could. You know, there is a huge opportunity that exists right now that is not going to exist in the future because the prices then are going to explode. And so you try to really um, look past the fear, look past uh, the today's concern And you try to look at, okay, what are the fundamentals? What are the market conditions that created that opportunity then? And where are we at now, right? The the consistent 
that we all face is nobody knows the future. Nobody has the crystal ball. Nobody knows what's going to happen with the debt markets. Nobody knows what's going to happen with, you know, different sectors and, uh, and what's the future hold. But really, um, you try to look at, you know, there's, there's patterns and there's things that happen and you look at, you know, what are your fundamentals of, if we're talking about multifamily specifically, but I think this applies to a lot of other sectors. What are your fundamentals and how many people are moving to an area? How many jobs are being created? Right. Those are two very powerful fundamentals that we really want to look at and drill down into, especially when you're looking at a specific market. Um, some other friends we know really get into real estate is local you know it's down to what's happening in that local submarket you know how many people are moving there how many jobs are being created there how much supply is available there you know or how much lack of supply which is what creates a demand and so um i think and uh and i guess we'll we'll go on record here i don't have a crystal ball and, and i don't make any any guarantee into the future um, but when we really look in and hone in on where we think the opportunities are, um, a lot of people are backing off right now and a lot of people are concerned and a lot of people are uh, not buying. And that's what really drops prices, uh, creates the opportunity and, and an expression you've heard or, or maybe this might be the first time you're hearing it is when there's blood in the streets, even if it's your own, you know, be a great time to buy. And so... You know, we're seeing that um, and you kind of look at everything on a zero sum game, right? Not not how far you're committed already, but really on a on a zero sum basis, does it make sense? And, and I would say um, to be careful, right, to make sure you structure things properly, structure your debt properly, uh, make sure you're uh, not over levered um, and but it's a great time. So. So what deals do you feel comfortable doing right now? Like, what does a deal look like in this in this environment that feels comfortable? Yeah, I mean, definitely good uh, cost going in. You know, if you knew your neighbor's house used to sell for um, <laughs> market specifically. So if you knew your neighbor's house sold for 800 grand last spring and you could pick it up today for 500 or 600 grand, you know, hey, it might be bumpy road the next, you know, two years, but likelihood the market's going to come back up there, especially when you're in your strong fundamental markets. And so, um, you know, those discounts are, are great, right? You love to see those. Um, the fundamental shift in, in debt, uh, really where things were trading with bridge debt before, which really didn't care about, care about previous performance, but it cared about, um, just it'll give you high leverage, low, cheap, cheap debt, you know, lots of money on CapEx. Those same rates, which were three, four percent are now eight to nine percent, you know, or maybe even more. And so those those rates are way, way, way higher. And so it's shifted to to more of an agency play, uh, which we've seen agency kind of come into favor, out of favor, depending on what debt's in the market. And so with the agency coming more into favor, uh, your performance on that deal is so critical. And so uh, now if a deal wasn't performing very well 
it's very penalized because the agency sizes debt depending on your what they call a debt service ratio. And so you won't get nearly as much debt, you know, so you got to come to the table with a lot more equity. And so prices kind of drop from there. Uh, so you're seeing those great opportunities um, in some assets where, hey, your neighbor's house used to be, you know, X and now it's dropped down. Um, and so, you know, we really like to look at those opportunities, um, those, those plays. And, you know, it's, it's when you're looking at your, so commercial real estate, have you talked about ABCD in the past or we can talk about that? A yeah, little we can bit? go over it again though. Yeah. So commercial real estate, A class is like your best location, best area, best quality product. B, uh, is kind of your workforce. It's not your top. It's not your, not your workforce. It's somewhere in the middle, you know, kind of your top end of your workforce housing. C is your, your workforce housing, you know, and, 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 uh, and then D is your do not go there. Uh, drugs, <laughs> the hood, do not buy in the hood unless that's your yeah. appetite. And, and I always like to break it down by like the stereotypical person that may live in an A, B, and C as well. Like A is going to be someone that might work for a software company but hasn't bought a house yet. And B could be a server in a restaurant or, you know, the secretary in an office. C, C is hard because it can be people that are just coming up or people maybe that are having, you know, a different, you know, that it could be, that uh, would be a good, good politically correct C person living in a C. You know, it's, it's a mix. Like you said, it might be your somebody starting out, young families, young couples, you know, somebody that's just moving out of home, moving into a place and, you know, they can't afford yeah, maybe the, without the or nicer. without kids and you're you're working minimum yeah. wage you're getting your skills up you know you want a safe yeah. place to live but the cost yeah. the cost of your housing definitely is a is a you know a, a major concern and then d yeah. is just a do not go a do not go unless you want to be a slumlord basically <laughs> yeah um, people yeah. do it That's, obviously you meet some do. people they love d but man you're talking fires and fights and Gangs, mm-hmm. uh, you could, you could, mm-hmm. anything and everything happens in D, I imagine. Um, yeah, okay. yeah, you got to have the right kind of appetite to, to desire something like that. And so, um, depending on, so the A, B, C, D class, and, and, uh, yeah, so your A, B, C, you know, there used to be a bigger gap. And so you want to buy an A class, those are a lot more expensive, you know, what they call the capitalization rate. You effectively almost your cash on cash. The, those, those, they trade at a, at a much tighter margin. And then the B's are a little less expensive and C's are a little less expensive. But when you look and evaluate things in the real estate space, you really look at that capitalization rate. Um, the ABC, those have a lot of, uh, very similar margins. You know, there used to be such a big gap and now they come in so tight. And so, at some points in the market, depending on what's happening, it can make more sense to look at A class, you know, or B class or C, you know, so it's really, I would say, opportunistic uh, in the marketplace. And, and um, yeah. So to make people feel comfortable about investing now, like, okay, we understand that, you know, things are on sale slightly, and that's good. But we still know that they may need to weather some economic, you know, waves in the next year or two. How do you set up a property that you purchase this year to make it through the next few years, possibly? What what is specific to apartments? And their apartments are a business. So how do you set up that business to mitigate some of those risks of, 
maybe some people lose their jobs or can't pay their rent or interest rates continue to go up. What are the things you, you can do with a property when you're purchasing it to make sure it's set up and capable of weathering some bumpy roads possibly without, you know, having financial issues at the Yeah, no, great, great, great question. Uh, so a couple of things you want to really look at uh, debt, you know, what kind of debt yeah. you put on and, and how you're going to ride through that economic storm. Um, so to, you know, you can look at debt and then either fix, fix rate debt, you know, for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. Um, so you can really look at that fixed rate debt going in. Um, and then have, make sure you have variable exit strategies, right? So if the market does shift and rates do drop, which fundamentally or historically have happened, um, after they've spiked rates so, so high. So if that does happen, then you want the variable exit strategies on the back end. So you make sure, uh, you don't burn yourself with a lot of massive prepayment penalties on your debt. Uh, so the debt on one side, uh, your underwriting, you know, how do you look at the property? How do you weather the economic storm? And so that is really a key aspect, you know, to make sure you account, like you said, for that uncertainty. If people are losing jobs, you know, does your, what does your economic vacancy look like? You know, and what, what are you, what are you driving? So with the beautiful part with apartments, um, this is something called a forced appreciation. If your neighbor, has a home, but it's a bit run down and your neighborhood's up here, but the house is kind of the worst one on the street. If he fixes it up, renovates it, you know, you can take that property and bring it up here, you know, pending the exterior, all that. But so same thing with apartments, apartments, something called forced appreciation. So it's not just an economic cycle of what's happening in that sub market, right? In that local area. But you can also really look at, um, what can you do to that property? You know, how are you going to improve that property? Are you renovating units? Are you, um, fixing up the exterior? Are you doing asphalt roofs? Just changing around the whole dynamics of that property. And, and I mean, that's something we love to do and focus on is, is, uh, drive performance and, uh, and really, um, look at, you know, improving, uh, income both uh, for our property and for our investors too. So, um, yeah, that's that, that forced appreciation is a beautiful thing on the, the multifamily space. Going back just real quick, can you explain to people that may understand what, what underwriting is and more specifically, what sort of, what stress testing is during underwriting and how you evaluate a property during different scenarios before you purchase it for situations like we just discussed? If, for example, something crazy happens with the economy and people start losing jobs, how you kind of know how, how resilient that property is going to be during underwriting. No, really good, really good point. Uh, so yeah, that, that debt, you know, kind of having the right debt on it to make sure, you know, if interest rates keep going up instead of coming back down, um, you know, that you're capping that. Right. So, yeah. um, having that, I'm thinking like vacancy payment. rates and things like that. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And then once you're looking at kind of, how you model a property, right? So typically when you buy these apartment buildings, you're going to look at a five-year plan, uh, maybe seven-year plan, 10-year plan. And so now you're looking at, hey, what happens to your property? Like Brian was talking about, uh, what happens to your property if your vacancy is no longer um, 10%, but it jumps up to 20%. And so running a couple different stress tests to see, 
you know, at what point do you need to, um, is your break even points, you know, what property, what point does your property, uh, no longer, um, pay for its own bills, but now it needs some, some capital infusion into it. And so running a couple of those different stress tests and then on the, uh, when you sell it, something that they call in the commercial space reversion cap rate. So to make sure you account for kind of proper reversion cap rates and you can evaluate it with different, uh, exit prices, you know, let's simplify it and we'll just look at, Hey, if you're, if you were planning on selling that at this much per door, but now you don't, right? The, the market softened. And, and so you can, you can play around with different, uh, vacancies, you know, your economic vacancies, which also account for your bad debt. Um, and yeah, really looking at the different reversion cap rates. You know, you can look at your market rent. Hey, what if your market doesn't keep growing? What if it stays flat or what if it goes dips? And so really kind of performing a couple of those different stress tests to make sure you've thought of different scenarios and it still makes sense on the price that you're looking at and buying. Okay. So that's how we and you analyze a property before you purchase it, see how it's going to do as far as the goal is to make, to grow the property and its value and to make investors money. But the downside protection is always never lose investors money. It's basically the, the, the down, the bottom line, like no matter what, we cannot lose money. So you want to see how far the property can underperform, basically, and still be okay. It's still paying its bills. It's not making money, but it's still stable. Think of a business that has a bad year. You want to make sure that the owner doesn't have to put in money, but it's still running along. Because basically real estate, as long as you hold it long enough, you have time to improve those reasons, your vacancy issues, and maybe you have some expense issues on the property to get it back up to performing really well, but you don't want it to ever be basically losing money. And you want to make sure you have a good window from where you bought it at, how it's performing to the worst case scenario. And that's what underwriting does with stress tests. Is there a particular distance you like to see, let's say for vacancy, let's say the property is at 92, 93% when you purchase it and it's, you know, it cash flows. Is there a certain certain distance you'll you want to see underwriting going? Hey, it has to be able to still pay its bills down into the eighty percent vacancy or or not vacancy occupancy. Is there yeah? How tight do you is, is that number? And I'll give you. I know you it varies a, by property, obviously. Yes, but. yes, and it and it really does because um, you look at um, what type of asset are you buying. Are you buying an asset where it's a huge value add that you're completely changing over your entire tenant base? You know, so that you probably have a slighter, smaller margin, but you just need to have additional reserves, right? And so I would say you really want to look at, you know, obviously it's nice if you go into the fifties or sixties that you can dip way down and have such a, such a, you know, big margin. Um, but you know, some of that is really offset by how much reserves that you have. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, a is definitely, um, just for people that are trying to get comfortable with apartment investing and just understanding, you know, if they, if, if they have a, the sky is falling by still need to do something mentality, realize that a lot of the properties on day one, when they are purchased, you could have let's say maybe 10% of all the tenants stop paying or leave and it's not going to go bankrupt. It's still going to be fine. 
you mm-hmm. obviously the model is to improve these units. But let's say something crazy happens. Kim Jong-un shoots off a rocket and hits Hawaii or something. <laughs> and, you know, everything changes in a moment. Investors need to understand with good operators, there is a buffer. Even if everything went on hold, hey, we're not going to improve these units. We're just going to we, we're going to sit tight, basically, and w- wait for the dust to settle. They still can typically weather. Now, that's maybe not true for properties that were purchased maybe a year, year and a half ago when things got really aggressive on underwriting and there probably wasn't a lot of wiggle room between where they are currently operating and where they could operate for a long period of time. So we understand that there's there's these reserves and investors should understand it too. There's money set aside for issues. Basically, something happens, you have low low, low uh, occupancy for a few months because maybe the property manager wasn't doing a good job and you have to change them. You want to be able to buffer that. There's also reserves for if you're going to improve the property, you need to move people out of these units. You need to have contractors come in and improve the space. And you have to have money not only to improve th- that, those units, but also to account for the fact there is no one paying rent for those months. So there's like there's different reserve balances um, that people need to understand. And obviously, sometimes they can move, but those reserves are there, should only be there for the planned re- renovations or the the unknown you have a reserve for the unknown i've i saw some deals and you've probably seen some deals re- not recently but previously there were those reserves were they basically made the deal work basically those reserves kept the deal alive until all the perfect scenario landed and i think some of those operators are finding that the scenario didn't turn out so i don't know that's my yeah, two cents yeah on no, reser- no. On it'll, reserve it'll accounts, be interesting Interesting, Interesting time. Yeah, to and see it's, what happens. Yeah, it's so much, you know, what is, what are you buying now? You know, what is the condition of, what's the condition of the flock, right? What is the condition of, of the asset and where you're at now? And then where are you taking that? And then do you have appropriate measures in place to uh, make sure you account for different scenarios? And so that's really, um, like you said, that's a, that's a key spot to make sure you got the appropriate reserves, you know, and balances uh, to, to take you from where you're buying the property to where you want it to go. Okay, I had to jump in here real quick. I hope you're loving this interview as much as I am. To get all our content and stay up to date, make sure you follow us on social media under Brian underscore O'Neill underscore investor on Facebook and Instagram. And also remember to follow this podcast if you're listening to an audio. And if you're on YouTube watching the video, make sure you subscribe to this channel. Okay, back to the interview. So let's say investors looking at a, a deal perspective that's out there, they're watching the webinar. Looks good. Looks like they have good debt, good reserves. They're not being too aggressive in their assumptions going forward, and they want to do it. How does inflation benefit real estate on top of the operations side of of these deals? So you can improve a property, and you have a good operator that's going to run them well. What's the benefit to real estate of inflation? Because I don't think everyone realizes they think inflation is bad for everything but it has a different impact on real estate. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, real estate is really a big hedge against inflation. And, uh, yeah. and I'm no economic uh, professor or, uh, you know, this is, this is my, not my space uh, as well on, you know, kind of how your money devalues over time. 
I mean, you can track kind of the, the value of U.S. currency over time or, or whatever currency you're looking at, uh, specifically U.S. currency, your dollar is worth less over time, right? That same dollar of what it could buy before becomes less, right? Especially as they print more of it. And so, um, but with real estate, you get the ability to, uh, your rents are typically six to, let's call it 15 months on average, maybe 12 months. And so your rents are going to pay you in future dollars. And so, you know, whatever's happening in the market and the cycle, your rents kind of ebb and flow with that. And so, um, and traditionally you're locking in kind of today's debt. And so as your value of money goes down over time, uh, and then you're getting tomorrow's, tomorrow's money, um, in your future rents. And so, uh, that's, that's definitely one of the ways, um, I guess two of the ways. Yeah. Inf- inflation typically drives rent up because yes. the value of people's money is less. So rent typically goes up. Expenses also go up, but they mm-hmm. go up at a, since they're, you know, how do you explain that? Expenses go up, but they don't go up the same dollar number, dollar figure as the rents are going up. So let's say you're bringing in a million dollars in rent and your expenses are 500,000. If you add 10% to that, now your rent your rents are $110,000 or excuse me, 1.1 million dollars, so you have an extra $100,000. But 10% of the 500,000 is only 50,000. So your rents went up by 100,000, but your expenses only went up by 50. So now the property is in theory positive $50,000 from inflation. Yeah, no, and, and your supply and demand is largely, you know, that's what impacts your rents, where like you're saying yeah. expenses doesn't really have that same kind of shift. And so a little bit, a little bit, but not not to the same. Yeah, it, it's it's complicated because there's inflation, but inflation can cause wage growth. So then wage growth typically dictates rents. So if people have higher wages overall in the area, their rents, assuming supply and demand stays the same of the number of apartments available out there. It's typically mm-hmm. a good thing for real estate, typically a hard yes. asset, especially an income producing hard asset. Inflation is beneficial to the owner of, uh, of these, these properties or, and the investors, yeah. the flows down to the investors, obviously. Yeah, and a good comparison, like you're saying, is almost, okay, the contrast is you have, let's call it $100,000. Your $100,000, if it's just sitting in a bank, the cost of everything is going up. So that $100,000 next year can't buy as much, right? Because the cost of everything has has risen. Um, so versus, you know, your apartment space is your rents go up, right? And so what's coming in as income is is rising um, with those tides. Yeah, that's my scenario. But, a, yeah. <laughs> can't leave it. Can't leave it sitting in the bank. It's just I feel like it's just dying in there. So you, yes. you have to put it somewhere. If, if you're making money, extra money, you're not spending, you're, you got to invest it somewhere because leaving it in the bank is crazy. Um, I was looking around yesterday, even at banks, the, trying to find the highest uh, savings rates basically that you could get because I'm, I'm, I'm with Bank of America. I think it's like 0.1% or something horrible. They still haven't raised wow. theirs. And wow. the highest I could find out there was three and a half, four and a half percent or so, these little community banks somewhere that have yeah. um, money market accounts, basically. Yeah. And that, okay, I'm not losing money with inflation at that point in theory. Um, you know, the 
federal government inflation number probably is not the true inflation number. Most economists will tell you that it's manipulated to to uh, benefit the government. They want to keep the inflation number looking as low as possible, even though it's higher than normal right now, because yeah, a lot of their a lot of their their growth, like you know, Social Security, your benefits increase based on this number. So the government enjoys having a you know lower number on these uh, these the, these inflation numbers because it makes it so they don't have to increase payments as much and other things. You know, because <laughs> what do they do? It's, they take out gas and groceries or something yeah. from that core uh, PCE. I think it, isn't it, it's numbers? food, energy, and housing, isn't it? Like. And, and, like the three biggest expenses like, you have living. You're like, like so you can't go anywhere if you don't have gas. You can't heat your home if you don't have energy, you know, and, yeah. and uh And they, they, so they do these with a consumer price index is what we're probably re- referring to. They do these weird things like substitution swaps. So they basically, their theory is if you used to buy steak, but steak went up by 30%, we're going to swap it out in the calculation for ground beef. Because that's what you would do in the real world. You wouldn't continue to buy the expensive steak. You'd swap it for something cheaper. So they'll actually take the cost of steak out of the number and they'll implant a different, you know, crappy meat and say, oh, yeah, and that's the number we're going to use. So we really didn't have as high of an inflation as we said because we took the steak out and put in ground beef. And they even do things like if they calculate in the cost of a new flat screen TV, let's say it's $1,000, and the new model comes out and it's $1,300, but it has the Netflix app built in, some new version, or it has, you know, it's 8K instead of 4K or something like that. They'll say, well, the price increase is because there's a, a increased feature. So we don't actually include that ink price increase because the product has gotten better. It's like all products get better. <laughs> like, yeah, how can yeah. you say that? I still have to go buy. The reality is, I still have to go buy a TV, and I still have to spend thirteen hundred instead of thousand dollars. So, taking that out of inflation, there's this funny, funny ways when you learn how they calculate all these different numbers you see on the news. That yeah, they're, Un- they're unemployment's all, another one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unemployment's but, <laughs> interesting. I know we can we, we can we go can off on a tangent on a yeah. tangent all that all that stuff all the time. So. Is your company currently looking? Or are you waiting for quarter two, quarter three? Like what? What markets? What's what's on your your plate right now as far as your goals and focus as a a company trying to bring good deals to investors? Yeah, you know, and and we're we're constantly looking. We're constantly active. Um, I would say we're less interested in the um, typical market deals, but we're really looking at where those huge value add components that we can bring, uh, to. And, and so, yeah, that, that's one aspect, you know, really the value add, um, especially like we talked what about you, that what, fundamental. What would you consider a typical market deal? You said you're uh, staying away from typical market deals or not considering yeah, that. Right yeah. We're trying to avoid those, um, unless we really see that it's, it's a great opportunity. Um, what would so, that be to an investor? Like, what, what does that mean? Is that just a, an on-market yeah, broker it, deal? Yeah, a marketed deal that everybody's seen that's being spread to, you know, a couple hundred people and you got 40 tours and you got, you know, uh, 10, 10 offers in best and final and it's just kind of price, 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 pricing up. Um, to a homeowner, that would be the, uh, the top realtor in the area, you know, puts the balloons out and uh, does all the ads and does the open house and tries to get as many people as interested so they can 
they're, they're trying to bring, keep the uh, the old days going of everyone fighting over the properties, basically. Exactly. Trying to the find bidding new wars, way, right? New ways, new ways to get people to fight over something to, to yes. bid up the price, basically. Okay, yes. so you're going the alternate yes. route, trying to find things that are direct sellers or, you know, you're digging up digging up deals somewhere. Yeah, or just, you know, over over time you build relationships with brokers too and some are, you know, traded up more off market. They don't want to, you know, before it hits the open market, you get the opportunity to come in, take a look and and potentially buy. Um so those those were, you know, constantly looking and underwriting. Um in the fundamentals, right? We look at those fundamental markets, right? Where where are your jobs being created? Where's everybody moving? Uh where's the landlord friendly? Uh, and not, not tenant friendly. I'm a Canadian. And so, uh, Canada is very, uh, tenant friendly. Um, and I'm um, guessing you don't invest in Canada. I do not invest in Canada. No. Uh, so, so those, you know, those, we, we really rely and look at those fundamentals and those have proven very true and, and, and great for us. So, um, that's where we're still, you know, I think if you could put yourself back in 2000, 10, 11, 12, once things took a big dip and big cooling, you know, now looking back, you have the ability to go and say, I should have bought, you know, and I do too. We lived in Tampa in 12 and 13 and things were still kind of bottoming out and just starting to tip, you know, so you see the prices then you're like, oh my gosh, man, I should have bought everything I could. Uh, but you, we never have that hindsight, you know, until you're in the future and you look back. Yeah, now... You know, you look and you see, okay, things have dipped, they've cooled. I think there still is more of a process and what's gonna, gonna happen. But as the buyers pull back, it does create opportunity, um, to come in and, and pick up. There's one thing I always think about, and I've heard, I've heard this said recently a few times and that, you know, humans have a fight or flight. You always hear you have fight or flight, but there's a third one and it's freeze. It's to do nothing. When humans, a lot of times, when it's uncertain, our our automatic, you know, primitive brain reaction is just wait and see because I can't make a decision. I don't know if I want to go after it or run. I'm just going to hold. And I feel like that happens. That happens a lot when you're trying to make decisions when the future is not completely certain. But those are typically the best times to power through and make a decision and make mm-hmm. a smart decision. Don't just you know throw your money out there in any deal you see. But they are out there and you just have to kind of push through. I know that the investment world, you know, they're talking about people are kind of holding on to their money. It's, I, I really think it's for that reason that you naturally want to just, well, let's wait. Let's wait and see because I'm uncertain and I'm, I'm freezing, basically. And the people that, yeah. that push past that and figure out, okay, what do I know? Basically, what can I do? What, what, what can I control? What do I know? And I need, what I don't know, I need to ignore, basically. And there's enough information out there, enough things and smart people we can talk to, to have enough information, I think if you just push and go in the right direction based on it, you won't be frozen in the next, let's say, six months, a year, 18, 18 months, and you can find and get involved in good opportunities without feeling like you're just, you know, going balls to the wall. I, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to do it. Um, you want to feel confident in what you're doing and just push past, past that freeze feeling. And it's funny, I, I want to close, I always close uh, these, these podcasts with a, a mindset. And you have the big-ass calendar behind you, which if people aren't familiar, that's a, a Jesse Itzler product. If you haven't heard of Jesse Itzler, Google him, go on YouTube. The dude is 
an awesome speaker. I've seen him twice. I'm sure you've seen him with me as well a few times. Um, the guy is, he's a, a, a great, I mean, he's a billionaire, right? Is he a billionaire? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or close to yeah. it. Yeah. He, he's a billionaire. Over. A couple yeah. times over. He started these amazing and companies. And his wife is? Yeah, his wife. Sarah Blakely, who started Spanx. Starts Spanx, exactly. Yeah. So they're, they're like a power couple. And he doesn't look, act, or speak like any billionaire I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he has this big yeah. ass calendar thing, which is which is behind Brent here, and yeah. it's a good mindset, a good mindset thing. So I always close asking: Is there any 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 mindset thing you have for 2023 that you're like, I need to work on this, or this is a goal? Um, obviously, you have the big ass calendar, so I assume you filled it out. With yeah, some yeah, yeah. You do. No, that's that's a great, great, uh, great it's point. Open, I guess open, we can open and a question. <laughs> that's yeah, true. let's see what what what, what do you like have in the calendar? I like it. Okay, so you know it's all about Jesse talks about intentional living, right? What do we want? We can either react and just um, ha- as life happens to us, or as we intentionally design and want life to to occur. So this this big ass calendar is really looking at. Hey, what do I want to specifically do? So he talks about six, six times a year doing Kevin's rules. Kevin's rules are kind of like, what different experiences can you create? You know, and it doesn't have to be expensive, right? He talks about just like very low cost things that are just unique experiences that you can, you can do and, and, and have. And so actually this weekend coming up, uh, gonna go hunting with a couple of buddies and this is my first time. So we live here in Florida cool. and so we're gonna go, uh, uh wild boar hunting. Um, well, I was going to say pig or wild boar hunting. Yeah. 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 So we're going to be doing that. Uh, so that's, you know, a, uh, should be a fairly low cost, but just a fun time with a those, things are, different. Seen aggressive? I, yeah, those <laughs> things are aggressive. Those things are aggressive. I couldn't believe it's like, I thought it was just like a pig, you know, it's like, no, they, they'll come after you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 So hopefully, so, you know, I come to be able to tell you know, the story uh, afterwards, uh, but that's going to be this weekend. And so it's just different times and then you know date date nights with my date dates or date nights date breakfasts whatever it is with my wife right trying to make sure intentionally once a week you know i'm, I'm kind of planning for that um and uh masogi is what, something that what's I'm your still... masogi so for, for people who don't know masogi is like a well you can describe it what's masogi yeah almost like okay in 10 years in the future it's 2020 2033 and you're like, what did I do in 2023? And you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I did. Um, so my specific one is actually becoming fluent in Spanish. So I've always wanted to, you know, have kind of made some different uh, attempts. But really, that's what I'm uh, actively working on and, and doing is become fluent in Spanish this year. Uh, and then I, I was we were in Mexico uh, me and Brian and, and this mastermind community. And then I, I was fortunate to be able to spend a couple of days after with my brother, um, <laughs> did like a full immersion into, uh, into the community there. And so with people that not many people that speak English, uh, lots of opportunity to work on my broken uh, Spanglish. Hopefully that's getting better. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, what is that year defining? Hey, look, we back. That's what I did this year. Or, or we went on a cruise with their family or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's something know. that it's it's a big event for the year that you would probably never think to do or plan, but you just commit to doing it. Some people it's running their first marathon or hiking some mountain or learning Spanish or some, you know, starting their business they've thought about for 20 years that they, they, they never did. It's like a big hairy audacious goal that happens that year. 
basically. And it's just the mem- the big memorable thing for that year. And it's pretty it's pretty cool calendar. It's just a calendar, but just this process yep. of going through and outlining what's truly important in my life. And I'm putting those first. I'm going to work everything else around it to make sure those happen. Because otherwise, you know, I, life on, on Instagram, there was something posted recently that, you know, they, they must know that I'm, I'm getting into the more of the mindset thing. And it was just like, you know, you have, if you're lucky and you have, you know, a good life, you have 75 summers, 75 Christmases, 75, like, that's not a lot if you really think about it. If you're in your 40s like me, it's like, man, like, you need to get going basically and not, and not waste these things and just burn the years. So the big ass calendar is sort of Jesse Itzler's, what he did personally and then shares with other people how he, he makes sure every year counts. And, and what's his phrase? Make sure the tank is empty. I think it's one of the things he says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Live, so. all, live yeah. full out. Yeah. Yeah, full out when yeah. he's done. His tank, is, his tank is empty. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, how can people get in contact with you, follow you on social media, uh, websites, anything like that? Yeah, uh, enrichinvestments.com, E-N-R-I-T-C-H, investments, plural, so with an S on the end, .com, uh, or Brent at enrichinvestments.com. Uh, best way to get a contact, uh, get a hold of me. Um, I do need to, Brian, you're doing an awesome job. <laughs> I need to up my social media game, but uh, yeah, you can connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn too. Um, do a little bit of shares here and there on those those two platforms. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll put all the info in the show notes. You guys can, listeners can just click right below and go to all those links. Awesome, man. Well, it was a a great talking to you and I'm sure I'll see you in June. We're going to Santa Monica for another mastermind. So I can't wait. Anyways, 